Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. Hello, Justin. Hello, Caleb Hatch. I hope you had a great uh, extended Fourth of July holiday weekend. I uh, did. Who knows? Who knew it was going to um, be such a controversial uh, weekend for us on the Twitter machine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? So. We'll get to some of that. Um, plus, recap of the Honda 200 at Mid Ohio Sports Car Course, and some schedule and the silly season nuggets as well throughout the course of the episode. Of course, we start with Mid Ohio, and you called it. Not that this was a, a huge shock, but Alex Blow, a winner again, as he's now won three straight on uh, the season and three out of the past four races. So, Alex Pillow continuing his dominance as he wins at Mid-Ohio, basically gained a spot early and then just waited for Graham Rahal to have poor pit stops and Colton Herta to have a pit speed violation, and that was that. Well, you just wait for RLL to screw up and you wait for Andretti Autosport to screw up, and if you don't, then you're in a good spot. But, um, man, you look at what Alex Pillow is doing is his best Max Verstappen impression, at least over the last several races. And it's seemingly after each event, we're talking less and less about the championship because it's looking more and more obvious that Alex Pillow is going to win. We we basically said after Road America, it was all but over, barring some extreme circumstance. And now, the way I look at it, it would take two straight DNFs for, for other drivers to come back into the yeah. fold of the champion, championship chase. He has a 110-point lead. And we're, what, nine races in? He could win the, the, the championship by over 200 points at this point. If, the, if, it, if he continues to dominate the way he has and other drivers not being up there consistently, he can win this thing by 200 points. It'd be it, just absolutely insane. It's incredible what he's done uh, so far this season. No finishes outside the top 10. His worst finish was the first race of the year. He was eighth at St. Pete, did have the fastest lap in that event. But it just goes to show you how dominant he's been. Two poles, four wins, and at Indy, if he wasn't taken out by VK, I think you could be looking at at four straight wins here. Or excuse me, five straight wins here. Yeah, it just uh, it's insanity. insanity. The only thing more insane is Chip Ganassi not re-signing him. Yeah, well, we'll I mean, this we'll is the to thing, too. And, and with every win that Alex Polo gets, the more it hits me as, why are you leaving? We've established the only two teams that can win championships in the series are Penske and Ganassi until somebody else proves us wrong. And, and to add to that, Penske and Ganassi have won 20 of the past 25 races out from Trackside Online. Uh, a team outside the big four which includes Andretti McLaren, hasn't won a race in the series since the 2021 Indy 500 with Elio and, and Meyer Shank. So it just goes to show you how dominant uh, the big teams are, and especially Penske and Ganassi. Yeah, it's been absolutely astounding. And for everything that Alex Blow is a premier talent, for sure. But I'm saying you're leaving a team that can win a championship. And I get it, Chip Ganassi late on the offers, all that stuff. Maybe he didn't value Alex Pillow as much as he should, and now he's playing catch-up. I get it. Is the goal to win races, win championships in IndyCar? Because Alex Pillow is doing that. 
Uh, there's no reason to go to McLaren unless it's F1 driven at this point. And I, I'm guessing that opportunity is is enough to leave, let alone the fact that he's going to be able to command probably better pay compared to even what Ganassi is willing to pay. And that seems to be the, the only reason he's leaving is money. And, and everyone keeps saying, why is, uh, why is Alex Pillow leaving Ganassi when he's having all this success? And it's simple. It's money. It's money. Right? Uh, there's, no, there's no other answer. There's no other explanation. And I get it. People would say, well, well, he signed the deal. Yes. But a lot of times when you have success at that level, you renegotiate. Right. And the fact they haven't renegotiated, Chip could have got out in front of this a long time ago by renegotiating his deal after winning the 2021 championship. Chip did not. Therefore, we saw what happened last summer, and that's where we're at today. Well, and I think, too, you have that Alex Pillow that I'm sure would would have wanted to restructure this at some point. Chip Ganassi was not interested, and now maybe Chip Ganassi should have worked with him because he's going to lose Alex Pillow to McLaren. But what's worse, Alex Pillow losing uh, Chip Ganassi or Chip Ganassi losing Alex Pillow because... I have a hard time seeing McLaren being able to have this much success with Alex Pillow, let's say this time next year, if that's where he's at. Yeah, it's based on the results. It's hard not to disagree. So we get into our three things of this race, and obviously Alex Pillow, the headliner, but I want to get to some other things. Uh, for my first one, uh, about 15 or so laps in, Alex Pillow was sitting in third. And, and I said, okay, here's what's going to happen. Alex Blow is just going to sit there and wait for Herta and for Graham Ray Hall and their respective teams to make a mistake. That's exactly what happened. Sure enough. You add the pit speed violation for Herta coming in hot into the pits. And then Graham Ray Hall had two slow pit stops. He ended up finishing in seventh. Uh, Herta finished in, in 11th. So he was never a factor after that. But th- this is IndyCar, right? I, I mean, even with the qualifying effort, and Honda was outstanding, sweeping the fast six uh, at Mid-Ohio, which that does not happen for manufacturers ever um, to have that level of dominance. Yeah. But it just goes to show you how important the big teams are because, yes, Andretti is part of the big four, but they're not part of the big two. And, and we saw that play out in real time on Sunday. We've said it. There are four teams that win races in this series. There's two teams that win championships. And when you look at it, is the you know, the dominance of the, the four has been big time, and the dominance of the two has been big time as well. But you look at it, and Colton Herta, I, I never got a, or never at least saw an official explanation. Was it the pit limiter button was broken or... He just cooked it too much and was trying to get control as it was kind of uh, he was losing control and, and either didn't hit the button fully, whatever. It was a mistake. And for Colton Herta, it's another mistake that throws a race away. Another pull and doesn't win the race. And when it's not Colton Herta screwing up, it's Andretti Autosport, the team. When it's not the team, it's Colton Herta screwing up. And that's what it comes down to to win in this series. And there's two teams that can execute consistently to win championships, and by and large, four teams that can do it to win races. However, Andretti Autosport continues to struggle with consistency. Consistency with its drivers, consistency with the team, and 
it's just it I I I threw it out there last week and and when does McLaren usurp Andretti as being that number 3 team in the series and I think that gap continues to lessen. Yeah, I, I mean yes Andretti has the win and they've had outright pace in qualify. I mean heard of back-to-back poles as a team they have what five poles on the year but race pace McLaren is far and away above and you know talking about sweeping a fast six first time that's happened since 2016 at Watkins Glen with Chevy with the sweep but uh for Graham Rahal his first front row start since Barber in 2019 uh when Sato won the pole and, and won the race Graham's first fast six since Portland in 21 Will Power yet to make a fast six this year pretty wild which is a wild stat but qualifying is important but you got to take advantage of starting up front when you're not used to being there. Like if you're a Graham Rahal and to be let down by bad pit stops. I mean, yes, the, the team has found pace, right? Especially in road courses. But it's not just qualifying up front. You got to have the race pace. And, and they've struggled with race pace at, at Rahal. But I think overall, I, I think what we saw Sunday was there are two teams and everybody else. And, and that's what played out. Well, the problem is for, for Graham Rahal and that team is that you're so intermittent in terms of you being a, 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 a contender at a race that the team's not used to it. And that's why they screw up. You saw it on Sunday. You saw it in the 500 a couple of years ago, not getting the tire on right when, when Rahal was a contender and he crashes. So that's kind of what happens when you only have a few races a year where you're really up front. And the pressure is on, and people screw up. And that's kind of what you're seeing with Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan. But it was an encouraging weekend out of him, and not just from Graham Ray Hall, Christian Lungard, top five finish. Um, even Jack Harvey was showed pace. But um, overall, it was a disappointing ending to a, a week that started so good for Graham Ray Hall on the front row. Just like the NDGP, where you had great qualifying, but not necessarily the results you wanted uh, with Lungard having success, but you thought, oh, that could be his first win, and it just didn't come together with a fourth. So yeah. his second, fourth. So overall, though, to, to me, my first takeaway is simple. It's two teams and everybody else in the series, and that's still true. What's your uh, your first takeaway? Uh, my number, my first takeaway, I guess we we can talk more about Andretti Autosport here in Colton Herta. Once again, another, another poll uh, doesn't win the race. And mistakes, mistakes, mistakes. And when... Is Colton Herta going to get out of those mistakes? Because as Lee Diffie said at the intro to the pre-race show, Colton Herta is the highest paid driver in the IndyCar series. Which was a surprise to me because I thought it was Scott Dixon. Yeah. He got a boost a couple of Going years Going by ago. Lee Diffie, and it makes sense with the amount of money that they had to spend. But man, for a guy that's being paid more than anybody else in the series that doesn't have a championship doesn't have a 500 and continues to make mistakes in pivotal moments. Wow. It's um, I know you had to pay him to keep him, but you're not getting what you paid for with Colton Herter right now. And a guy who has regressed the last two seasons. Yes. I mean, he went uh, third in 2020, fifth in 2021, and he won what? Three races in, in, in 2021. So it, a, a guy who is, ready to kind of take off. And then the last two years, he's he's been he's been good, but he's not been an elite level driver. Is there a ceiling you hit 
whether it's individually, collectively, whatever, when you're not with Andretti or excuse me, Ganassi or Penske, is there a ceiling to where you say that's the best you can possibly do with a team that's not one of those, that duo, that championship duo? What has Colton Herta hit that? You look at what Alexander Rossi did at Andretti and then regressed and then left. I mean, have we seen the apex of what Colton Herta can do at Andretti Autosport? It seems to be high highs and low lows with that team. Yeah. And the driver talent's there, right? I mean, you have three drivers out of the four who could win any race weekend. The problem is you also can't count on them to to be locked in and be consistent as far as getting top fives and top tens. Yeah, not at all at this point. It's it's what are you going to get? We know we've talked about Romain Grosjean at length. I'm talking about Colton Herta. Is what are you getting from those Andretti Autosport drivers consistently? You're you're, you're lacking any type of consistency with those guys, right? So um, I I don't know. It was just another another lost opportunity for Colton Herta, and just those things seem to be happening more and more often. Um, what's your number two? My number two. So let's get to Simon Pagina in, in that wild right? crash uh, in the Saturday morning practice session over the weekend. So the the good news was he was okay. Um, and that was a, a Michael Andretti-esque crash, the car tumbling uh, over multiple times. Um, but he had some interesting comments talking about the track and wanting some changes as far as it with, with safety goes. Was he onto something there? Or was this just him being upset knowing that he let another weekend get away from him? Well, for me, I feel like the latter, uh, because he did have like an, a, a comment towards the end of the interview after he was cleared to basically said, well, you know, at least we got some TV time <laughs> because of how bad that, uh, that Meyer Shank has been this year. But I, I don't know what, what, what's he want. Does he want, because you look at it as does he want sand trap like more better longer sand trap more runoff I, I don't know but you lost your brakes at 180 mile an hour and you walked away so the track's not doing that bad I guess in terms of safety yeah I I just thought it was uh, odd like I, I get being upset but I thought it it was just misdirected odd. I guess I don't know if you can't openly I I feel like the frustrations with Simon Pagino was probably within the team is the brakes going out, whether it's the team or manufacturer or whatever, but that's where his frustrations lie. And he just saw a potential blame, be able to pass the blame to the track for whatever reason. Wasn't the track's fault he crashed. No, Connor Daly stepped in and at least for that. I mean, as you joked about, you know, the airtime, I mean, that's the most significant airtime he's had all season. (laughs) Literally and, and figuratively in yeah, terms it, of uh, yeah, being off the ground. One. But it, it's just been a struggle for him. And uh, that team, as we'll get to later, up for a complete revamp next year. I don't think that's any surprise based on what's gone on this season. As if we needed any further examples about the arrow screen being so pivotal. One, the Pagano crash. Two, the Erickson Rosenquist get together. In the race, two more instances over one weekend where you're going that could have been a hell of a lot worse without the arrow screen. Yes, the tire mark on the arrow screen on the car for Felix just goes to show you how important the arrow screen has been since it's come into play. 
it's been invaluable. And two more times. And give credit to to Connor Daly and, and stepping in in a pinch. Was already there, but, you know, had to scramble, uh, get his stuff there, uh, prep, be ready. The, the fact that he has recent experience, of course, in the car in Abbott, Ohio, helped tremendously. Um, was the last guy on the lead lap ending the, the race. Had to start 27th, got up to 20th. So serviceable job from Connor Daly. Great job stepping in, um, but nothing... Nothing insanely crazy. Nothing you know, overly impressive about what he did. And finishing right behind Ryan Hunter Ray, just I, I found that fascinating. <laughs> I did too. I, late, late in the race when you saw those two together, I was like, what? That how was this the battle to watch out. on track. Yeah, it definitely was. All right, what's your number two? Uh, you know, looking at number two, let's see who do we want to talk about and look at. And I, let's talk about. I, I thought it was a really good weekend for Marcus Armstrong. And a top 10 brings it home. And, and this is the interesting thing. When we look at the dynamic at Chip Ganassi Racing and the opportunity of make us, maybe Marcus Armstrong showing some promise but still not getting the nod on the ovals. I thought maybe this second half of the season with Iowa and Gateway that it would be a perfect opportunity for Marcus Armstrong, particularly at short ovals, to get a little taste of oval racing in IndyCar. Yet it's going to be Takuma Sato. But I think Marcus Armstrong, even with the missing races, and who knows if he'll be able to hold on to the Rookie of the Year championship by missing three more races, but he's been pretty impressive for a guy that has kind of flown under the radar when it comes to storylines in the series this year. I don't know how you feel about it. Uh, yeah, I would, I would say he definitely has, but then again, I'm the same person who predicted him to win Rookie of the Year, despite <laughs> running fewer races. So I yeah. guess I shouldn't say I'm that surprised. When you have the best equipment, uh, that goes a long way, even if you're running fewer races. Are you surprised that he's not getting an opportunity to run the ovals? At least the, the yes, o- uh, Iowa and I, I am based on how he performed early in the season. He has been solid all year. I mean, moving up nine spots is impressive, especially at a track like Mid Ohio. I I almost wonder if like the the Road America strategy flop doomed his chances to run those ovals. Yeah, which you wonder, you know, which was not his fault, uh, not his fault, right? It's not in his control and your sponsorship too. Lord knows we know how Ganassi runs. It needs that money that people are bringing. But for him to have now two top tens, uh, four top 11s and his worst finish this year's 15th. I mean, that's pretty impressive for a guy that's not getting very many, uh, very much seat time and having to jump in and out of the car. And in terms of not racing at Texas, not racing at Indy, won't do Iowa, of course, Gateway. So I think he's been pretty impressive. 17th in points right now overall and still a favorite to win Rookie of the Year despite missing three races coming up. So I think Marcus Armstrong is maybe the guy that's not being talked about at Chip Ganassi Racing. And maybe that's a good thing when we talk about Marcus Erickson and Alex Pillow in terms of contractual um, situations with those guys. But Marcus Erickson showing himself to be capable and, and maybe a guy that in the next couple of years can emerge as the, as the next Marcus Erickson or Alex Pillow with Chip Ganassi. All right, uh, time for my number three. Let's talk Benjamin Peterson. Okay. Uh, all the drivers upset with him and, and the blue flag rules and, and everything in the race. But here's my thing. When it comes down to it, if you can't pass a lapped car, that's ultimately on you. It, it, unless he's blocking you and he gets penalized, he wasn't blocking. He was making it tough. Right. And here's the thing: he was trying to stay on the lead lap. Like yeah. he was just, he was just trying to stay a part of it. 
and I can't really blame him for what he did. He I get it. The drivers were upset, but he was only one lap down. He didn't do anything that was against the rules. No. That's the thing. If you want things to change with back markers, guys that are laps down or, or, or towards the back, then change the rules. That maybe within a certain amount of, of laps towards the ending, they have to get out of the way. It's more obligatory for them to get out of the way. But he's battling to stay in the lead lap with a caution. He's back at the, the back and maybe can make some moves and, and get in, climb into the top 20 by the end of the race. Who knows? So he didn't do anything wrong. But I think if anybody, if there's beef with anybody, it needs to be IndyCar to have more stringent rules, especially late in a race with cars that are in the back of the field. Yeah, I, it, look, the, the blue flag rules aren't going to change. I get it. Drivers are upset. I thought below, I, I thought, okay, one, if he can't pass him, and he finally did, so it's right. proof that you can. But also, he probably saw the advantage of, yes, he was frustrated, but at the same time, you're you're saving fuel in that right. aspect. Yeah, I mean, you're running behind somebody. You're not having to burn as much fuel. So I could see the frustration because the lead was was shrinking and a lot of it had to do with Benjamin Peterson, but I don't think he did anything untowards. I, he, in, the, in how the rules are written, he was well within his rights. I didn't see a problem. All right, you're number three. Oh, what is my number three? Um, you look at it and... It was a relatively clean race, and yet there was there was plenty of excitement, at least in the first half. And I guess let's let's talk about Marcus Erickson and, and Felix Rosenquist in particular, because Marcus Erickson's race was ruined early on, finished last, and that really hurt him. But when we look at two guys who may or may not be with their teams next year, Marcus Erickson and Felix Rosenquist, for them to get together. Felix was able to continue, but still finished 25th, a lap down, and Erickson finished 27th. Of those two, which one do you feel needs to have a better second half of their season, regardless of where they end up next year, before their future? Is it Marcus Erickson or Felix Rosenquist? Felix Rosenquist, just because he hasn't won as a driver at McLaren. Look, Marcus Erickson won a race this year. He, He proved last season he can be a championship contender. Won the Indy 500. He's won multiple races. Uh, for Felix, just the one IndyCar win. And to be at the McLaren team and, and have your, your teammate in Pato Award and then now Alexander Rossi outshining you week in, week out. I, I mean, you, you got to find a way to get something done. He's 13th in the standings. Yeah. And at that team, that's not good enough. No, not at all. And it was tough for him, not of his own creation, the issues on Sunday. But that just seems to bite Felix Rosenquist the times that he does have um, an opportunity to make something of a race. Either he gets caught up in something or whatever. It just seems like bad luck more often than not. But I would agree. I think Felix Rosenquist is the guy that needs to have a significant second half of the season. I don't know what Marcus Erickson needs to do to get Chip Ganassi to pony up some money for him. Maybe it's an outright refusal by Alex Pelot to take any money and come back. Uh, I don't know. But doesn't sound promising for Marcus Erickson at this point either with Ganassi. And so I think it will be a storyline to watch for both of them on where they end up, which I think we'll get some some intel on that as we get deeper into the second half of the season. Yes. So that wraps up our three things from Mid-Ohio. Other notes from over the weekend we didn't get to. Uh, only 120 passes for position at Mid-Ohio. So uh, Alex Pillow has won five of the last 10 IndyCar races. That from Ryan Marine dating back to last year's season finale. 
Uh, and I mentioned the Penske Ganassi stat race win. So that was going into mid Ohio. So now it's 21 of 26. Yeah. Put wow. that in perspective. Uh, Tony DeZeno with this nugget 98 in Long Beach front row was Brian Herta and Bobby Rahal. The winner was Alex Zanardi, uh, a Ganassi Honda driver on a second title. Then we obviously had mid Ohio on Sunday with Colton Herta and Graham Rahal in the front row. The winner was Alex Blow, Ganassi Honda, uh, where he's very much on his way to his second title. So that was interesting uh, note. Uh, they used the rain vanes for the first time due to wet track conditions over the weekend. Yeah, that's fun. Uh, we thought it rain all, uh, you know, be, rain would be a factor all weekend. It, it was never really a factor. I guess positive or negative. It probably would have made the the race a little bit more exciting, but yeah, there was a mass of fans there, and it would have been detrimental for them. So that was uh, interesting. There, Colton Herta had a new strategist once again. This time, Rob Edwards moving over to the stand. Well, I, I don't can, get the shuffling. You can keep changing the strategy, uh, the, the the strategist, but. If the, if the driver doesn't deliver, it doesn't matter. Yes. Uh, meanwhile, TV ratings. Uh, I never saw anything about the crowd, but the crowd was massive. Yeah. Uh, there was no concern over the crowd. But as far as TV ratings go for this event, also massive, considering it was on USA. Um, 776,000 viewers on USA Network. Most watched cable race since 2021 in Nashville, which was on NBCSN. That got over a million uh, fifth most watched cable race ever for NBC Sports. So that's really good. 739,000 linear, 776 total audience deliveries. So that includes Peacock. Uh, the first USA race of this year, 385,000 on Road America. Uh, the non-rain altered one in 22 that was not uh, rain altered last year, Detroit 354,000. That from Nathan Brown. So all in all, massive numbers, but the Xfinity lead-in, and by lead-in, I mean lack of a race, I'm sure that kept viewers around. Yeah, I asked you earlier today, I was like, man, what was what was up with the with the jump because uh, from the previous race Road America on USA, and you mentioned Xfinity. And, and so let's thank NASCAR, and let's thank Mother Nature for getting IndyCar that number, because that was what was the, the significant... Um, factor in that. Also, let's not forget Road America was on Father's Day, so I don't know if that has a huge yeah, impact, but, but, but there's some impact. No, I, I don't. I don't buy the the holiday thing because okay, it's Father's Day, but it's July Fourth weekend too. Like people are at the lake and stuff. So yeah. for every person that wasn't watching because of Father's Day, probably the same amount of people aren't watching because they're on the lake or doing cookouts or whatever on July second. So it it, it predominantly was, uh the Xfinity race and being in Chicago. I, I whatever would, we'll I take would tend it. to agree. Yeah. You take it right. These are, these are huge things because you get more than double the highest rating on cable that you had last season. That's massive, right? That's massive in, in totally. terms of the numbers. And so you have the, the peacock only race coming up at, at Toronto, but then you still have what one more USA race gateway, mm-hmm. I think. And then, I believe that's it as far as the schedule, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, you're at a spot where anytime you can exceed expectations, especially on cable, is huge uh, for the, the TV numbers. Moving. No matter the reason, we'll take it. And actually, okay, it's the the Gallagher Grand Prix at IMS. That is the USA race. Uh, Gateway is... Good. Could that be on Peacock? <laughs> yeah, right. Could that be on Nowhere? Yeah. Could that be a race <laughs> that doesn't exist? Yeah. Um, we we'll shall We'll talk see. about that a little bit. 
Yes. Do you, do you want to do schedule or silly season next? Uh, let's do schedule first. Schedule? Okay. So Nathan Brown had a great article on the Indie Star talking about changes for the 2024 schedule. A lot of interesting nuggets um, to, to pull from this story in a conversation with Mark Miles, uh, the president and CEO of Penske Entertainment. So first off, they're weighing two options for a non-points race in 2024. So Argentina, we know, is one of them. But Miles says one that is even more promising prospect. It's in the running, not Brazil. So this is fascinating. Where, where would this be? I, I assume the Middle East? Like, what, what, where is this? Australia. Australia. Is where I'm thinking, yeah. Yes, uh, Australia mentioned in the article. So uh, that's interesting that Australia has come into play um, as far as another option. Um, but I just think get Argentina nailed down and make it a championship event first. Now, as far as Brazil, that's it's sounds like it's been very one-sided as far as reports on, on the series trying to hold a, a race in late June. Miles says never does six months go by that somebody or someone on behalf of somebody doesn't reach out uh, trying to host a race. So, um, but I, I think the fact that Australia was dropped as a, a prospect um, that's more promising uh, is there a is fascinating permanent road course in Australia or would this be a street race somewhere? I don't know. Like, is it a return to surfers or is it somewhere else? I no yeah. details beyond just the fact that, Roger Pinsky has confirmed he's engaged in some level of talks with Australia. Hmm. And then Miles didn't acknowledge with anything more than a sheepish grin, according to Nathan Brown. Interesting. So, supercars run. Is Surfers Paradise still a course they don't do? They don't do surfers anymore. I mean, there are several tracks that you could do. I mean, a lot of the tracks that surfers race or surfers that supercars race at. I mean, some are street circuits, some are permanent circuits. I just, there's not enough info about this for me to even begin to speculate yeah. on, on what it would be. I mean, we know Argentina, we know the circuit, we know all the details. It's just whether they agree to have it as an exhibition event as opposed to a points paying event, and then obviously the check clearing. Now, the 2023 championship for supercars includes a the Gold Coast 500 at Surfer's Paradise on October 28th and 29th. Now, we, we we when this was floated a couple years ago, we knew that was part of the reason why IndyCar really wasn't interested because they couldn't uh it wouldn't they didn't know where it would go in the calendar. Now, if all of a sudden you say, "Okay, starting next year, they're going to go to Surfer's Paradise in that late October date with supercars and just do an exhibition race because the season's over," then that would potentially make sense. But um yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Could it be there? Could it be Albert Park? Who knows? But and, and then we'll as, as far as number of races, well, IndyCar is once again set at 17. Uh, this is disappointing because that means outside of dropping the second IMS road course race, which seems like a strong possibility. Please. Because NASCAR could return to the Oval as Between far as that up. and the Olympics yes. next year. Seems like a possibility. Um, but as far as where things stand contractually, Texas will be back next year. Toronto um, hasn't had a new deal in several years, according to Brown Laguna Seca. 
at a multi-year deal. Portland's um, done after Portland this year. Portland done after this year. I mean, the contract, deal. who knows if they're done, done, but... Iowa, I, I mean, we've talked about this before, I think, but with the CEO of, of Hy-Vee moving on not long after last year's Iowa race, I... To me, I tend to wonder if Iowa is done after this year. No, I no, no, you no. I mean, so. It's it's a huge event, and it's being going to be even bigger. But if Hyvee goes away, which is a, a rumor I've read and heard, yeah, then that would put that event in serious jeopardy. I would say so, yeah, because Hyvee. But it is also an event that they are getting a lot of pub out of, not just in IndyCar, but also music as well. Uh, really, no comments on the IMS road course date of the second one being dropped from Miles Pinsky did say that. Milwaukee had done more than I'd expected in terms of upgrades in recent months. And I would say, duh, because they were scheduled to do these upgrades (laughs) last month. They're hosting trucks. Of course, they had to do some stuff to get truck series there. So I I still think Milwaukee will be back next year. That'll be your one race. And then you ditch um, IMS too. And then now you obviously, I would say Iowa and Gateway are, are interesting as far as do they continue? But I think they do. As long as hy V's on board, Iowa stays. And as long as Bomberita's on board, Gateway stays. Yeah, hopefully hopefully Gateway can have a bounce back year this year race. Um, now year two of Cup being there. Um, hopefully there is more focus on advertising for the IndyCar race this year. And then as far as uh, Milwaukee, some other comments. Miles saying the, an- the answer hasn't changed, still things to work out. Pinsky said, we do have interest to run there. Look, if Pinsky's saying that, to me, it's all but a done deal. Yeah. And of course, the the maybe the most interesting line in the entire story is the last line of the story. Oh, yeah. That that always happens. It's what happens in IndyCar media. Yes. So the, the last line in the story, um, Mark Miles said, and they were talking about Nashville. We'll get to that in a second. But there's one other market we're talking to about an event that if we could pull it off for 2025, it could have the same kind of impact talking about NASCAR going to Chicago and IndyCar going to, to Nashville. So what event would that be to me? That kind of level of event means you're going to have a huge prize money aspect outside of the, which I don't see happening. Yeah. I don't see that happening or you're going to go to the Northeast on a street circuit. Now this was in direct comparison to Chicago, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, But what, what, excites you as much as chicago and, and the whole basis that we'll get to is people you know indycar fans were saying well I, I don't care about chicago i'd rather go back to milwaukee or michigan we're talking about events that transcend the sport okay that are bringing in people that are being bringing in viewers that don't traditionally tune in and go to indycar races okay the chicago street race did that over the weekend despite the weather it was a resounding success for all involved. Uh, some things need to be changed, but, but it'll be back for year two and year three, something we openly questioned because we thought it would be a disaster, but they pulled it off. And so what moves the needle like Chicago in, in IndyCar? Because they only have one race that does that. That's the Indy 500. Yeah, I mean, Long Beach and several other races draw big crowds. But it's not bringing in TV, casual viewers. Yeah, No, it's, it's not a huge thing. And you, you talk about uh, the Cup Series race, 4.795 million viewers total audience delivery. Uh, that's about 130,000 less viewers than the Indy 500 this year. So that's huge. Uh, in Chicago, that market alone got a 9.3. We're talking about one of the biggest TV markets in the country. So that's huge. 
um, a lot of buzz and, and a lot, a lot to take away from from that. But so, what could IndyCar do to try to match that excitement in Chicago? Are we talking about a Northeast street race? And I'm not talking not just Northeast. I'm talking New York. Yes, like New Pittsburgh York street does race. not count. Yeah, no. Boston, of course, does not count. Yeah, they tried. Uh, Baltimore, that. been there, done that. Yeah, right. Uh, streets of Providence, um, Rhode Island. No, it doesn't count. No, it's got to be, you know, New, be York New York or and and if not New York City proper, like just across the river, yeah, in New Jersey, like the the F one plant several right. years ago yeah. that, that never came to fruition. So we're talking either New York slash New Jersey or. L.A., which is not happening. Yeah, because there's, they not, long, there's, there's yeah. no reason to do that. Um, I suggest, you know, Bay Area, but you already have races there. But if it was a, it was a San Francisco, you couldn't do it at a street race. It's insane. You'd be going up like, you know, inclines of 30 degrees, which are pretty wild. You'd be jumping those cars. As we know Would what a race do. in Mexico. No. 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 Doesn't move. Or a, a race in the Middle East that's no. got some huge prize money thing. Like, I mean, prize money, like, maybe say a million to win or something like that. Maybe like that. That's that. That's the only incentive. But no, Mexico doesn't move the needle. That's why I'm saying, like, like I, I don't think people value just how much Chicago means. Because even if it doesn't return, it was a, an event that transcended NASCAR transcended fans, NASCAR. transcended racing Motorsports, fans. Yes. Like, you know, a coworker of mine talking to me. Oh, yeah, the NASCAR race was interesting. You know, a buddy texted me. It was, it was odd. It was really cool to see. And like, yeah, he's not a racing guy. I so. have an aunt that only watches the 500. That actually posted on our our Facebook group. If anybody wanted to come over and watch the NASCAR race in Chicago. And here's the thing: it's okay. It's it's going to be around for a year. But as we've heard, NASCAR is already looking at other venues. Do they go to New York City? Do they go to Denver, which was talked about for IndyCar at one point? Mm-hmm. Are they, they're looking at Mexico, which is also being talked about. Here. They're looking at the Middle East. We know they're already looking at Montreal and re- returning a circuit, Gilles Villeneuve, where they've raced in uh, Xfinity. Yeah. Now, back then, I think it was like Nationwide or, or Bush or whatever the series was called then. But they've raced there. But this would be a step up as far as racing with, with the cup cars there. But NASCAR knows, okay, when they try things, it's going to have a novelty for about a couple of years and then it's going to wear off. Then you go somewhere else. Then you try something else. And that's what we're seeing NASCAR do. And I, I told people, so, so people were saying, well, I don't care about Chicago because I want Milwaukee back. Like that's just little minded thinking for IndyCar is what brings in new viewers. It doesn't matter what it does for the million or so IndyCar fans that watch all the time. Okay. So this is like the, the, when we talk about the hotbed, the breadbasket of IndyCar is the Midwest, correct? And yes. NASCAR came in in the biggest market in the Midwest by far, and the third biggest market in the country, third biggest city, metropolitan area in the country. They pulled off a street race. So that's the equivalent of IndyCar going, all right, we landed a street race in France or Rome or Berlin or London in the breadbasket of Formula One, and IndyCar is going to go race over there. That's the coup that this was. And people just don't understand that. But this is what it was, is IndyCar's, their lifeblood of IndyCar is the Midwest, and NASCAR just came in and swooped up and put the biggest event on possible in the Midwest outside of the Indianapolis 500. And look, this is a major coup for NASCAR. We had our doubts they would even pull off the race this year 
especially because it was kind of pushed through by Lori Lightfoot, who was the outgoing mayor and very unpopular, uh, but it still held firm even after she was out of office. Yeah. And now Maybe they'll get her reelected. No, I guess it's no, too late for that. No. <laughs> uh, and then now it seems like a possibility for next year. So a, a major win for NASCAR and for IndyCar, you know, it's finding that event. Be you know, they've bold. Done, they've done the Clash of the Coliseum. They've returned to North Wilkesboro. Um, they've they've done the Chicago Street Race. They're yeah, trying they're new just, things. Trying you know, they new went to Coda. Uh, yeah. They did go to Road America. Excuse me, as a placeholder before going to Chicago. So it's it's being bold and trying new things. And meanwhile, we look at IndyCar that doesn't want to be bold. That's racing around an antiquated chassis. And not trying things and stuck at 17 races, the same 17. It's it, the, the cutting edge of IndyCar used to be. That's what was the draw. It's not anymore. Formula one, whether you love it or hate it is drawing in more and more viewers around the world and particularly the United States, even with one team dominating one driver dominating. Why? Because they're bold. They're trying new things. They're doing different things. The technology, the manufacturers jumping in the personnel, all that stuff. You look at NASCAR, we're going to take some big swings. We're going to go to uh, North Wilkesboro. We're going to race around the L.A. Coliseum. Like five, ten years ago, could you even fathom that would be a possibility? Now, it's easy to say, well, it wasn't good racing or blah, blah. They, they put a racetrack in the Coliseum and raced. And they went to Chicago and pulled off a street race in the third biggest metropolitan area in the country and arguably the most difficult city in the country to pull off a major event like that due to the red tape and the politics and all that stuff. And they did it. And yet IndyCar fans going, nah, I'm not jealous of it. I'm just worried about going to Milwaukee. Sorry, that doesn't grow your sport. It doesn't at all. And meanwhile, Nashville and what Mark Miles is talking about, um, that event, again, current contract expires this year. They have to move the circuit somehow because of the the Titans' new stadium, which is going to set to begin as far as construction early to mid-2024. But Miles telling Nathan Brown they have an an event uh, that's an even better situation. This wouldn't just be a, a placeholder till that seems complete in 2027, but something permanent starting next year. That keyword permanent, I find that interesting. Mm. Does that mean they're going away from a street race? No, I don't think so. I think maybe a more permanent spot for spot. the long, long term and for the race. But we had Jason Rittenberry, the president and COO of the Music City GP that chimed in on Twitter that his some of his uh, group that helps with the construction of the course in Nashville was helping with Chicago, but teased that that there was some big news coming for the Music City GP, and we were trying to figure out, I mean, does that mean a portion of the track goes down Broadway, which I would mean, be exciting? That's... That's the way I take it as far as what it would be and, and what it could mean based on, on what he said. So that's that's gotta be it, right? I, I, I mean, mean you hope they helped build the NASCAR it. street race. Um and he said it did take the help of an IndyCar track to pull it off. Our team from Nashville built the track, maybe jealous for a few months, just wait until Mu- Music City GP announces plans for twenty twenty four and beyond. So I'm looking I, I forward to that announcement. Yes. Now, and what what does this mean? Mark Miles didn't really give give a whole lot of of detail on that. Obviously, my guess would be if it involves Broadway, yes, that is huge. Yeah, that is the way you make that event even bigger. 
And I think it's a, a, a market you can continue to tap in because it has two ovals as well around Nashville. And there's discussion. Now, this is just thrown around, I think, in the mailbag I saw um, about maybe because the, 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 the race, I don't, know, I don't know if it was sold out or anything at the fairgrounds, but um, they have two, two, two ovals there. And, and, and maybe NASCAR starts racing at both ovals this point so could indycar at some point look at both the street race and the oval because i think i think when you look at that maybe it's two different demographics a that both ovals are considerably outside town i think and b street races kind of cater to your own younger demographics do you look at ovals maybe as the older demographics could you tap into both markets the the oval as far as nashville super speedway is well outside of downtown yeah. Nashville. I guess the fairgrounds is close. The fairgrounds is within the city. Yeah. But um but, but who knows? Limited capacity wise. True. It's something like fifteen thousand seats. But I mean Miles I, said uh what they're thinking about doing in Nashville is a big impact, but there may be a way to really amp it up further. That's the quote talking about what they're looking to do in Nashville. So we shall see, but either way, Australia in the conversation as far as an international event. Brazil seems to be a non-starter. Yeah. And then Milwaukee, uh, I still think is going to happen. And then the IMS road course race in, in Nashville, you know, impacted by the Olympics. You know, how do those fall on the calendar? Those yeah. are the main takeaways there. But I think we're waiting to see what Nashville could be. But, um, yeah, we created quite the firestorm on uh, on the Twitter yeah. machine. Or at least myself. I did. I will take blame. But what? So many replies and, and uh, we can't even get to it. No, like but, it's, it's but too much. What, what cup pulled off in Chicago absolutely astounding and great job to them and they took a chance they were bold be bold when's the last time indycar has been bold and nashville's i would say would be the last time that's happened and that's that that was years ago that they decided yeah. to go to nashville yeah so i mean that's 2021 and here we are in 2023 looking at it 2024 and it just doesn't seem to be gaining any steam all right silly season news so a uh, couple of things. David Malukas will not be back. Dale Coyne Racing. This isn't really a surprise to me. No. The season's not gone really well. He had a streak of what? Was it four straight DNFs? Um, and then finished six at, at mid-Ohio. So a great bounce back weekend for him. But not really a surprise that he is not returning uh, with Dale Coyne Racing. And then connected to that, uh, HMD, uh, they will not be in IndyCar next year as far as a standalone team. HMD Motorsports will focus on the series formerly known as Indy Lights in 2024. Not very surprising. They still plan on having seven, eight, nine, ten cars in uh, formerly known as Indy Lights next year. And it sounds like they're doing their due diligence on what they want to do in IndyCar if ever. They're a team that I think they can read the landscape and it's not going to be easy to just jump in there. They basically said they want to come in and be able to immediately compete with the midfield teams. And I think they know that they're not there yet. Uh, Marshall Pruitt reporting that Maluka is drawing interest from the likes of Andretti Autosport, among other teams. I mean, that would be an ideal fit. He could take over the 29 car where Devlin DeFrancesco's at. Um, he brings a lot of funding. But he also brings a lot of talent. Let's not. Yeah, he does, and finished the season it, strong last yeah, last year, which I was a big. I think it would thing. be a good fit for him. Uh, I think Ganassi, that team's been thrown out there, but based on what we've 
read elsewhere, it seems like there are other people when it comes to funding that are more in play, like Kevin Simpson yeah. and, and Marcus Armstrong, um, and obviously the whole Polo and Erickson thing, where we didn't really get anything new over the course of the weekend with them um, directly. But either way, uh, Malukas on the move, not a big surprise. I think Andretti makes a lot of sense for a landing spot for him. Well, you look at Malukas, a 10th and a 4th to start the season, and since then hasn't been better than 19th anywhere else. So it's been a chore. It's been a struggle for David Malukas. Uh, elsewhere, as far as silly season news, so uh, one of my buddies on the ground at Mid-Ohio uh, talked with uh, Meyer Shank people and people in the know there. Tom Blonquist, one, one of the cars. This isn't a surprise. In fact, that's set to be announced in August, according to Nathan Brown. But then the other car, reports are, it's a current Chip Ganassi racing driver. Now, I think a lot of people think, well, you know, Erickson or Armstrong, because we know it's not going to be Pelot, right? Right. Um, but I think the driver that fits the bill here the Takuma best Sato? is Takuma Sato. Yeah. Because he's got the Honda money. Um, that would give him a free engine lease. You have the Andretti partnership, and Sato's run with Andretti before. He's experienced. Yeah. Two-time um, 500 I, I, winner. I think, would you... Uh, Looking at it right now, would you rather have Takuma Sato or Elio Castroneves or Simon Pagino full-time? Takuma Sato. Yes. Um, And and then you need someone experienced to pair with a rookie like Blomquist. So to me, that that is how I see that play. That makes a lot of sense. I I don't know how much. I think Elio's clearly on the downswing of his career. Now, he would be an Indy 500-only entry. I don't know. How much do we look at Simon Pagino and say it's him as opposed to the team? And I don't know. I'm just asking. I, I think with Pajot, I think it's simple. It's the aero screen. He just never yeah. ad- adapted and adjusted to the aero screen. Yeah. He's just not been um, the same driver. But yeah, I, I think Takuma Sato makes a lot of sense. We've said on the podcast before, you'd like to have at Meyer Shank a rookie and a veteran for next year. And I think that would make a lot of sense. So that's how we see that playing out in terms of silly season uh, stuff and I remember if there was any other silly season notes to to really get to from over the weekend. I, I mean, we know Shank is going to be a complete turnover. Um, it'll be interesting where Devlin DeFrancesco, where he goes, because I mean, he brings enough money, he will get a ride if he wants it, right? Right. Um, so that's another factor um, with it, and it really it was surprisingly quiet over the weekend in terms of silly season stuff. Well, I think um, I think we'll start getting some things ramped up here in the next couple of weeks. That's for sure. Yeah, Marshall Pruitt in the mailbag uh, says, I expect Coyne to have both seats available. That's not a surprise. Uh, as far as Ray Hall, uh, Jack Harvey likely not going to be back. I don't think that's a surprise either. Hunkos will have no seats or be searching for a veteran to replace Ilot. He goes to a bigger team. And then he was talking about the Indy Lights drivers. There really isn't anyone who's separated themselves above the pack as far as being a, a clear guy to move up to IndyCar next year. Yeah, I would agree. Is it is Nolan Siegel still leading the, the points despite he had a tough um, race over the weekend but I don't know if he's still in, but he's all of 18 years old and the guy that's that's this is the thing, if you win that championship you get the scholarship as, as little money as it is, it's still going to give you a bump to potentially go into IndyCar, so yeah, Nolan Siegel's still leading the points over Christian Rasmussen and uh, Hunter McElray, 
but um, there's nobody, I guess, that's looking like a can't-miss prospect right now in Indy next, I guess the, is my, my point. The top four, so Siegel, Rasmussen, McElray, and Foster, all talked about as potential that can move up, and then we know with Kiffin Simpson and, and the money and the backing he brings, Yeah, he's back in ninth, though, did finish second at Mid-Ohio, so he's starting to get some better results, did have a poll at Road America. Um those are the names that we see out there as far as being able to advance. But yeah, I mean, you look at Rasmussen you look at the, you and look McElroy, at the list and like I think two is the most we get out of that. Yeah, you could say maybe the two most exciting prospects in the top five are Siegel and Louis Foster. They're both rookies though, and they probably could use another year of seasoning in Indy Lights. So um, we'll have to see exactly what shakes out. But I'm just not I'm not sold on really any of those guys in in jumping to and being a of uh, a difference maker right off the bat in IndyCar. No, no, not at all. If you agree or disagree with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us at newtrackrecordpodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for the email list so you never miss an episode. Uh, it is free to subscribe. Also, any special announcements we have. Uh, we also have the store available on the website. We have T-shirts and stickers for sale there. Uh, elsewhere on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter, IndyCar Podcast. That is the handle there on Facebook. Just search for New Track Record. Our email address is newtrackrecordpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also uh, find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash newtrackrecord, and support us on there. It starts at just $1 a month to be a supporter. Thanks to Xavier, Rob Stitch, and several others for their generous support each and every month. Uh, for us and as always free to listen free to download on your favorite podcasting platform spotify apple podcasts amazon overcast Castbox, player fm wherever you listen to podcasts again all for free all right mailbag time and we have a ton to get to no surprise uh with that this week and we start off let's do rate the race first since there's a, a lot on rate the race this week and how would you rate the race i had it at six and a half i have it at a six Ooh, it was you, not you didn't have was, an on-track pass for the lead yeah there was not a lot going on uh the first half was interesting first half was okay the second the, half was not the most look look the most i don't know if, if you want to say exciting but the most um the biggest moment of the weekend didn't even happen in the race it was the Pagano yeah, crash. Yeah, that was the highlight. <laughs> and, and even coming out of the weekend, the highlight was the Pagano crash. And that kind of just goes along both with the in, insanity of the incident plus the lack of excitement on Sunday. All right, let's go through our responses here on Twitter. DudesFX7 was just expecting a bit more of on-track battles. Jimmy B44140 gave it a 9. Uh, Hunter J. Smith 03, a 9. Solid classic IndyCar race at one of the series' oldest tracks. Never gets old watching something special like this. Very rare in IndyCar to see such domination. That's that's a different angle. That is very true. That's true. And that's the thing that, that you and I have kind of discussed in you saying the, 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 the boredom that is Formula 1 because Max Verstappen wins every day is, is maybe to somebody else's domination. We love to see domination yeah. in basketball and football and all that Look, stuff. We, we talk about parody in other sports, but when they're dynasties and other sports yeah. as far as teams and franchises that draws viewers and yeah. eyeballs and even sometimes it draws viewers for people that just want to see those dynasties end or those runs end and somebody else take it to them so 
how many people that tune into Formula One are hoping that somebody beats Max Verstappen? Yeah, yeah probably just Weekly. as much people as want to see him continue to dominate. And I think that's the same case right now for Alex Pillow. Uh, this from H. Sabedra, 9 out of 10, expecting more yellows. Got a better than expected race with some decent action. 1984 Topher, probably a seven great racing throughout the field, but Ray Hall pit stop miscue. And a herd of penalty took the great racing for the lead away. Whatever Peterson was thinking didn't help things. Um, he's just trying to stay in the lead. Yeah, he's just I trying. Yeah, he's just doing what he's allowed to do within the rules. Change the rules. Don't mess with the driver. Daniel SEM 2004, six and a half, a bit chaotic to start, but you had to know Herta and Ray Hall would choke. Pelot didn't have to do much other than fuel save to dominate. Championship race is over. Pelot will win easily. The problem was, is you, you when you looked at contenders for Alex Pelot on the weekend, probably the only two that can compete with him were the ones that screwed up. Ray Hall yes. and Herta. No one else was close. Yeah, nobody else was close. Uh, in cap team 185, gave it a six. Great weekend being there. First half of the race was great. Second half was a snooze fest. Literally saw people leaving with 25-plus laps left when Plo was up by 10-plus seconds in the field. Yeah. Love Mid-Ohio. Beat traffic Look, out. Mid-Ohio is an absolutely great event, but as far as the on-track action, it is very hit or miss. Yes. It's a great event. Draws a huge crowd. And I, I feel like when they moved it from early August to July 4th, you know, around that weekend, I thought, oh, this is going to hurt the event. I feel like the event's gotten even bigger the last handful of years. And that's the the thing when we talk about excitement and, oh, you have to have exciting rate. Like, there's no rhyme or reason to it because Mid-Ohio, you put at the lower third, maybe the lower fourth of exciting races over the course of the season is Mid-Ohio. Yet, the fans come out it's in droves. probably it's top crazy. five in, in attendance. Yes. Um, it's crazy the amount of people that go to Mid-Ohio. Yet, it's not a very entertaining race. Then again, you have some races that are ultra-entertaining, ovals, and they're like, where is everybody? They don't come. Yeah, It's just the rhyme of reason, because there's no argument on the other end that are saying, man, why are all these people showing up to a mid-Ohio race that just, quite frankly, isn't really that exciting? But hey, they're showing up. Who cares? Bill Hessa, seven nice race, entertaining. Herd and Ray Hall up front was different, but as soon as Plow went to first, race over. Championship is won. Uh, Plow have to sit out to not get it. I started laughing when NBC was discussing comeback strategies. Yeah, that's that's funny. Big D cart, five and a half. Had a great time at the track. Some races like 2021 were thrilling. Many were snoozers. This was in between. I wish it would have rained. Uh, Hunter's Way 67 gave it a five. Can't stay in Pillow. That's fair. Bingles DFW gave it a five. Run underscore Mark underscore Run gave it a seven. Pillow is getting boring, but good for him. Jamin T14, I'd give it a seven. Mid-Ohio, always exciting with racing through the field. Way better than that race in Chicago. So we got a hater. <laughs> Jeremy from HBG gave it a 7. Bill gutted for Herta and Ray Hall. Not just because I had them in fantasy. Would have had a great weekend if not for the pit stops. I call this stop something else that rhymes with pit. But you might <laughs> read this on the pod. <laughs> uh, Poet Shevchenko, 8. Tuned it halfway through. But what I did see was a good race. Uh, imagine if you saw the first half. Uh, NK Harden, the racing action was a nine. The winner was a one. Really tired of seeing Pelot kill everyone. Say goodbye to the streak of the championship being decided in the last race. This season is over. That's a great point. That yeah, we were talking about championships it. done. Yeah, with uh, with when he can clinch. Could he clinch at Gateway with 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 two races to go? I mean, if it continues, he's going to win it by over two hundred points. He's going to clinch it potentially with 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 three races still remaining. Um. Yeah, pretty wild. But wanted to uh, to give. We haven't checked the standings of the fantasy league. I forgot to uh, in a while. 
enter this and week. uh Stux Racing is in first right now overall uh trailing about let's see 40 points behind I thought you had the keys in second Milwaukee's best in third so the race for the championship it is tighter than the actual IndyCar series championship always so, a good sign We'll start uh, making sure we're giving more updates here as we get through the second half of the season. But right now, Stucks Racing on uh, in the point position right now in first. Uh, you posted a tweet. If you're an IndyCar fan, you're not jealous that NASCAR pulled off a Chicago street race, even if it's just for one year. You're lying to yourself. And oh. there are a ton of responses. I just want to get to one Little did I know this was going to create Talk such a firestorm. hot take ledge. I'd give up the annual Mid-Ohio Fuel Mileage Parade for one year of a cool downtown street festival. In a tier one city. That from Faux Will Power. Here's the thing with Mid-Ohio. It used to be 90 laps, and they bumped it back down to 85. Yeah. So you used to have two and three stop strategies. Now, Pato Award had to do Yeah, the now it's stop, a straight But now it's two. a straight two stop. I just thought that was interesting that they've kept it. And the here, here's the thing with the post is I wasn't dogging Mid-Ohio. I'm not dogging Indy IndyCar track. I'm not saying it. The point of the matter is, is and I, I said it earlier, is when you're... Your 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 bread and butter of your sport, the the hotbed of your sport is the Midwest, and you have Cup come in and smack dab pull off an event that nobody thought was possible, and effectively steal the momentum in the Midwest, and put this on whether it goes for one year, two years, ten years, whatever. The fact that they did it, that they pulled it off, you cannot tell me that you would rather. That that it, that you wouldn't be excited for IndyCar to be there. That it would be such a big deal. But if somebody else does it, then you marginalize it. But no, it, it's it's pretty much the equivalent of IndyCar going into a, a European city, a European capital city, and pulling off a street course race in the shadow of Formula One, and Formula One not being able to do it. That's the equivalent of it. It wasn't crapping on any IndyCar events. It's okay to be jealous of big events. I'm jealous that. NASCAR is run by people that will be bold, that will try things, that will make the impossible possible. Formula One, same thing. They'll be bold and they'll try things and they'll go places and they'll put together a Herculean crazy schedule, like 24 races next year that carries them into December next year. Be bold. They're trying stuff. They have investors through the roof into the series that want to get in the series that want to join the series that want to build things for the series. Be bold. IndyCar is not bold. They're not trying anything. They're, they're staying at 17 races. They're sticking with an antiquated chassis, blah, blah, blah. I don't blame them for third OEM. That's pretty much out of their control because you can't bring somebody in, but how are you making the series more lucrative for people that want to invest in it? And 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 making it more exciting, trying different locales, trying different technologies, bringing eyes to product that otherwise aren't watching. What is IndyCar doing that's bold? I don't see it outside of national. Like once every three years doesn't count because there's nothing being. It sounds like nothing being planned, right? There's no there's no roadmap. There's no okay. We're supposed to get excited about hybrid technology next year when we already have that Formula One. We've had it forever. You could even look at the sprint format with Formula One. And do I like it? No, not really. I'm still confused. Like, what are they racing for? They're racing for points. Is it for position? For the ra- No, it's just it's like a mini race before the race. But they're trying to inject excitement into the weekend, 
instead of having just three practices and a qualifying and then a race. And there's already you look at indie cartoon. There was an interesting point in the mailbag about people complaining about lack of action and practices and how the first 20 minutes are pretty much dead other than install laps and rookies out there. And that goes back to not enough tires. And if you gave the teams more tires per Marshall Pruitt, then you would have more action on track. And these are the things like you can't even give the teams enough tires to want to be out there for an entire 75 minute session. It's just astounding. Meanwhile, a silly season uh, as far as Tom Blomquist and a current Chip Ganassi driver next year full time for Byer Shank, Elio running the Indy 500. Several replies here. Luke BS37 said Sato Shirley. Yes. Uh, someone else, Tyler underscore Allen. Plus, a contract isn't renewed. Who would leave Ganassi for MSR? I love MSR, but Ganassi is cream of the crop unless it's Sato. And again, we think it's Sato for that exact reason. Uh, RSB underscore 350. Hopefully MSR can get back to winning with some fresh faces. HJ Carp 29. Got to be Armstrong or Sato. Don't know if Erickson would go to Shank. Dixon seems loyal to Chip. Plows either Ganassi, McLaren, or F1. Zoomy Stitches. Fingers crossed Blomquist decides to ride, uh, run under the New Zealand flag. And Kiwis can continue taking over. <laughs> Collett <laughs> underscore Tom Blomquist has been the favorite since December of last year. And then Corny for Archer. Got to be Sato. He wanted a full-time ride again. Uh, several other replies here. Blomquist and Erickson, interesting combo for MSR. Hopefully they get their uh, crap together and give those boys a good car. That from Mikey McGuire MS. Um, also, Adaptive Mom said Blomquist and Erickson. That'd be an interesting combo. Yeah. So we shall see how that plays out. But that wraps up the mailbag. Time for news and notes. Not a whole ton to get to. Um, as far as after you know the, the race weekend, um, but we have Spire Motorsports. This is interesting. Marco Andretti will be at Mid Ohio this weekend with Group One Thousand One in Gamebridge on a truck NASCAR truck car. Uh huh. Fascinating, uh, fascinating entry there. Caitlin Clark will be at the Hy-Vee IndyCar Weekend. The Iowa Women's Basketball Star signing autographs July twenty second, ten thirty to eleven thirty a.m. And July 23rd from 10 to 11 a.m. It's a pretty big get to have her there. She's a, a big star in women's basketball. And uh, talking about that Gamebridge and Group 1001 deal. So a uh, multi-year partnership with Spire Motorsports. Being Corey, Corey LaJoy's or, or Dylan, uh, Ty Dillon's car starting this weekend. And then obviously on Marco Andretti's truck entry. Interesting. Yeah. And then in F1... Michael Andretti, Andretti Global, Andretti Cadillac. Seems like they could get an answer by the end of the month if they will have an entry at F1. I just don't think they're going to like the answer. I'm, I'm still pessimistic about the whole thing. We'll so see. We, we shall see. And Tony Kanaan, special advisor for the Aaron McLaren IndyCar team. So good to see him still involved in the sport moving forward. We knew he'd end up somewhere. And yes. Good to see. Uh, tweet of the week, just one. It was really good. Uh, Christopher DeHard. Uh, C. DeHard, uh, Scott McLaughlin, not a fan of Benjamin Peterson after this one, and, and Scott having words with Peterson, and McLaughlin tweeting, I was actually telling him NASCAR was starting at 6.15 Eastern. <laughs> so that's pretty funny. So a good response there. All right, random split error driver of the week. All right, random split error driver of the week. We're going to 2003 and CART. You know what? We're running out of, as much as I said, CART is a is a uh, is a treasure trove. Like the early CART years of the split, like we've we've went through them. So 
We're going to 2003, and we're going with Jeff Boss. Who? Jeff Boss, an American racing driver, best known for his appearance in the 2003 kart season. I can guarantee, can you guess which team he, he raced for? Uh, well, I have it up now, so uh, I know that it's coin. Well, yeah, but I, I, I'm, I'm more intrigued that his sponsor was Lacoste. Yes, it was. And actually competed across five years in Indy Lights. Won the Toronto Grand Prix from pole, had four additional podiums, at Long, including at Long Beach, and Detroit, but in terms of his 2003 uh, venture with Coin, he did the second half of the season with Coin. Uh, did not do the first six or seven races, and then jumped in and had a couple top tens. Well, top ten in Miami, top ten at Surfers Paradise. Finished twentieth overall. Um, was never higher than ninth in Indy Lights over five years, and he raced for. Let's see. Uh, three different teams. So Team Medlin, Lucas Place Motorsports, and Doricot Racing. Never heard of any of them. No. And Indy Lights. Um, but just did one season, was one and done. Um, did, let's see, after that went into a lot of, um, I think he did GT3 for a while. Yes, uh, he most recently competed in the 2018 Porsche GT3 Challenge for JDX Racing. Won the Skip Barber Formula Ford Series three times. Should have asked Skip Barber about that last week. If we were <laughs> known. Hey, tell us about Jeff Boss. But um, had uh, he joined Dale Coyne after a third of the season to replace another former or another future random split era driver of the week that I'm not going to mention. And in a total of 12 starts, finished in the points three times. Best was the Lexmark Indy 300 at Surfer's Paradise, um, and then completed in the Porsche GT3 Challenge in 2018, had a best finish of sixth at three different occasions, Sebring, Mid-Ohio, and Watkins Glen. One and done, Jeff Boss in cart in 2003, still with us, a native of Rhode Island. Jeff Boss, this week's Random Split Era Driver of the Week. All right, that wraps up this week's episode. Next week, we'll be back, hopefully more IndyCar silly season news and perhaps IndyCar schedule news. We'll see as IndyCar gets set to head north of the border up to Canada for the Toronto race. That is next week. For Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Hatch. Thanks for joining us on New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.